Lesson 6 of Elements of Conchology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Huff. Elements of Conchology by William Ruschenberger. Lesson 6. Family of Cardiacea. Cardium, Donax, Cyclus, Corbus, Telina, Venus, Patricula, Venerapus, Mactra. Family of Inclusa. Lutraria, Maya, Bisomia, Hyatella, Solon, Sanguinolaria, Folus, Teredo, Fistulana, Gastrochina, Clavigella, Aspergillum. Class of Mollusca Brachiopoda. General characters, Lingulo, Terebratula, Orbicula. Class of Mollusca tunicata, or Acephala nuda. Bifora, Acidia, Batrillus, Pyrosoma. Class of Acephala continued. The family of Cardiacea is characterized by having the mantle open in front and prolonged posteriorly into two tubes, which are sometimes distinct and at others united in a single mass. One of them serves for respiration and the other for the passage of excrement. This mode of conformation is recognized in the shell by the impression made by the attachment of the edge of the mantle, called the pallial line, which before joining the posterior muscular impression, or psychotrix, curves more or less deeply inwards. In all these mollusks, there is a transverse muscle and a foot, which generally enables the animal to crawl. The species of Cardiaceae that have long tubes ordinarily live buried in the sand or mud. In this family, we place Cardium, Donax, Cyclas, Corbus, Telina, Lucina, Venus, Patricula, Mactra, etc. genera, which for the most part are very numerous in species. The Cardia. Cardium are chiefly characterized by the hinge, which consists of two small teeth in each valve, situate in the center, and a projecting plate or tooth placed at some distance in front and behind. The shell is equivalve, convex, and furnished with ribs radiating from the summit towards the circumference, and when looked at from one side, its general form reminds us of that of a heart, from the manner in which the summits, beaks, of the valves rise up and curve inwards toward each other. The Donaces. Donex have a hinge formed nearly like that of the cardia, but their shell is flattened, nearly triangular, inequilateral, and the summits are nearly vertical. Several small species are found on the coasts of France, the shells of which are very pretty. The Cyclades. Cyclists have the same hinge and are distinguished from the preceding by the rounded form of the shell, which is equilateral, that is, the two halves of the valve, situate on each side of the vertical line drawn through its summit, are alike, and striated transversely. One species, Telina cornea, is common on the coast of France. The general Cyrena and Cyprina belong to this group. The corbis are transversely oblong marine shells, which resemble the preceding in the hinge. Their external surface is very regularly marked by transverse ribs, crossed by diverging rays. The Telini. Telina closely resemble the Donaces, but they have the middle of the hinge armed with one tooth to the left and two to the right. The shell is slightly gaping. Like the Donaces, they have two long tubes, which can be entirely concealed within the shell when the animal contracts. Both live buried in the sand and are found on the coast of France. The Venus is recognized by the hinge, the anterior and posterior plates of which, instead of being separated from the middle tooth as in the cardia, etc., are approximated in a single group beneath the summit. The shell is generally thick, 
moderately convex, and a little elongated. The species of this genus are very numerous. The genera Petricola and Venerapis resemble the Venus very much, and have obtained their names from living in the interior of stones which they perforate. The Mactri differ from the other Cardiaceae in having an internal ligament lodged in two pits in the hinge, corresponding with each other. There are some large species on our own coast. The fifth and last family of Testaceous acephaly or inclusa is composed of mollusks in which the mantle is only open at its anterior extremity or near the middle for the passage of the foot and is prolonged posteriorly in a double tube. In other parts it is completely closed. The shell is always gaping at the extremities and most of these animals live buried in the sand or mud. Sometimes they excavate holes in stones or wood. They are divided into Maya, Lutraria, Anatina, Glycemera, Solomia, Bisomia, Hyatella, Solon, Samobia, Pholus, Teredo, Fistulana, etc. The Lutrarii closely resemble the Mactri, but their hinge is unprovided with lateral laminae, and their valves are very gaping, particularly behind, through which passes the thick fleshy cylinder formed by their double tube. A large species is found in the sand at the mouths of several rivers in France. In the Mai, there is a projecting plate in one of the valves and a pit in the other joined by a ligament. The anatony have a small plate in each valve, giving attachment to a ligament. In the Solomai and Glycemiri differ from the Mai in their external ligament. The Bisamai, in place of living in the sand, like the preceding, penetrate stones and corals and attach themselves to them by the aid of abyssus. Their shell is oblong, without a distinct tooth, and gaping about the middle of the inferior edge for the passage of the foot. The hyatelli have nearly the same general form, but the tooth of the hinge is more marked. The solens, commonly called razor shells, knife handles, from the cylindrical and elongated form of their shell, have the hinge furnished with an external ligament and armed on each side with two or three projecting and very decided teeth. Their foot is conical and is pushed out at the anterior extremity of the shell. They live in the sand and bury themselves with great rapidity by the motions of their foot. The folides are distinguishable from all the preceding by one or more calcareous pieces situate between the two valves of the shell near the hinge. The valves, which are broad and convex anteriorly, are elongated on the opposite side and leave betwixt them a great oblique opening at each end. Their hinge resembles that of the Mai. Their double tube is not retractile and may be very much elongated. These animals inhabit tubes or long cells which they excavate either in the mud or stones or wood. There are large species on the coast of France, in the West Indies, and on the coast of Peru. The pterodines, or shipworms, are celebrated for the ravages they commit by boring into ships' bottoms, piles of dikes, bridges, etc. These are mollusks with a very elongated and almost vermiform body, which is enveloped in a tubular mantle, open at the anterior and inferior part for the passage of the foot. It is provided posteriorly with two very short, distinct tubes, and its base is furnished on each side with a movable stony plate. The shell is composed of two rhomboidal valves, but is very small, and covers only a very small portion of the mantle. It seems that the animal, by moving the extremity of its shell like an auger, excavates in submerged wood the hole which serves as its abode, and as it advances or buries itself deeper, it lines the excavation with a calcareous matter, so that in a short time it finds itself lodged in a stony tomb, which at first might be mistaken for a second shell. It begins its attack upon wood when very young, hence the external opening of its gallery is very small, but it digs on until the termination of its growth, and progressively augments the size of its dwelling. The two tubes which occupy the posterior extremity of the mantle always remain near the opening of the gallery, and through one of them it causes the water necessary for respiration and nutrition to enter, for it always remains in its hole, with the mouth down and the anus above. 
The common teredo, which is about six inches long, it is said was brought from the torrid zone, but it is widely spread in the seas of France and infests the dikes of Holland to such an extent that its unperceived ravages have, more than once, been near producing terrible inundations. Vessels have been sunk by the holes bored through their bottoms by these animals. To guard against such accidents is one among the reason why ships' bottoms are covered underwater by thin sheets of copper. The fistulini also live buried in submerged wood or other analogous substances, and also line the interior of their hull with a calcareous mortar, which constitutes a tube, completely closed at the large end, having more or less resemblance to a bottle. Like the pterodynes, they have externally a small bivalve shell and two plates, which may be regarded as analogous to the operculum pieces of the gastropods. They inhabit the Indian seas. The gastrocini differ very little from the preceding. Their shell, which is unprovided with teeth, is very gaping in front, and their double tube, which can be retracted entirely within the shell, is susceptible of great elongation. They excavate holes in stones or masses of madrepore, and often line these holes with calcareous matter which, on becoming hard, constitutes a tube similar to that formed by the teredo and fistulana. We also place in this division the clavigella and aspergillum, which also construct a calcareous tube. In the first, one of the valves is collapsed by the tube, while the other remains free in its interior, and in the last the tube has, at its closed extremity, a disc perforated by a great many little tube-like holes, an arrangement which has obtained for it the name of watering pot shell. Class of Brachiopod Mollusks These mollusks are very analogous to the common acephaly. They are also provided with a two-lobed mantle and a bivalve shell. They have no foot, but in place of it, two fleshy arms furnished with filaments, and susceptible of being unfolded externally or drawn within the shell by folding spirally. Their branchiae are not distinct from the mantle, and the mass formed by their viscera is very small. They are unprovided with organs of locomotion, and live attached to submarine bodies. The principal genera composing this group are the lingula, terebratula, and orbicula. The linguli are provided with a long, fleshy peduncle, one extremity of which is generally attached to the rocks these animals ordinarily inhabit, and the other is furnished with two oblong, flattened valves. Their arms, which are inserted in the sides of the mouth, are very long, and the branchial vessels are distributed on the internal face of the mantle, and there form on each side a series of small parallel folds. They are found in the Asiatic seas. The terebratulae have two unequal valves joined by a hinge, and one of them has a hole through its summit for the passage of a fleshy peduncle, by means of which the animal attaches itself. Their branchiae are less distinct than the linguli and consists simply of a vascular network spread over the internal face of the mantle, but their muscular system is more developed, and there is found in the interior of the shell a small solid frame, the structure of which is sometimes very complicated. Its chief uses are to afford attachment to muscles, and to assist in separating the valves. Some living terebratulae are found in the South Seas, but they abound most in the fossil state, and are found in the most ancient fossiliferous strata or layers of the Earth's crust. The orbiculi have one round conical valve, like the shell of the patelli, while the other is flat and perforated for the passage of a very small peduncle, the conformation of their arms and the arrangement of their branchial vessels very closely resemble those of the terebratulae. Class of Mollusca tunicata, or acephala without shells. The acephalous mollusks without shells, which have also been called tunicata, differ much from all the preceding in their general form, as well as in many important particulars of their organization. Their mantle consists sometimes of a simple tube open at both ends, and sometimes of a sac. Their branchiae present in different forms, but always very little developed, and are never divided into four leaflets or laminae, as in the ordinary acephaly, or lamellibranch testacea, among which they are placed by many authors. They have neither foot nor arm, and they evidently form the connecting link between the mollusks we have just described and inferior animals, which are ranged among the polypi in the branch of zoophytes. The Bifori, of all the tunicata, possess the most complicated organization. 
Their mantle is tubular, furnished with transverse muscular bands, and enclosed in a transparent, cartilaginous envelope. Both extremities are open, and the posterior orifice is supplied with a little valve, so arranged as to admit the water, but not to allow its escape. The mouth is placed in the tube formed by the mantle towards its anterior extremity, and the heart, liver, and other viscera are united into a small mass near this opening. The anus is situate far behind, and the only branchia, which is formed of a membrane transversely plaited, extends obliquely from the superior to the inferior parietes of the pallial cavity. The water which traverses this tube consequently laves the respiratory apparatus, and the animal moves by forcibly expelling it from the side of the mouth. Hence, we see it must necessarily swim backwards. When fully grown, these mollusks are free, but at birth they are frequently united to each other, forming a long chain, and swim in this manner for a long time. It seems that the individuals thus united, after becoming free or separated, produce young which are not joined together in a chain, as just described, and differ from them in form, and that the young arising from the last are united and similar to the first, so that in these singular animals there is the most remarkable alternation, the same form and the same mode of existence not being transmitted from one generation to the other, but constantly returning to the second generation. The biphori are found in the Mediterranean and in the warmer regions of the ocean. They frequently emit a phosphoric light. The simple acidii cannot move like the biphori, but live attached to rocks. Their mantle is in the form of a sac with two orifices, and the interior of this cavity is lined with a network composed of the branchial vessels. The mouth and the little bag or sac containing the viscera are attached to the bottom of the great branchial cavity, and the anus is found near one of its openings. Other tunicata, closely resembling the preceding in their organization, live united in a common mass, and for this reason they are designated under the name of acidia composita, or aggregata. A gelatinous or cartilaginous tissue encloses a great number of these little beings, the surface of which presents a multitude of six-pointed stars formed by their openings. Their propagation seems to be affected in two ways. Sometimes the mass grows by the development of their reproductive buds in this common tissue. Sometimes the young formed in an ovary are expelled externally and swim about free or separately for some time until they become attached to some submarine body where they establish a new colony. We give the name of Batrillus to a small aggregated tunicata of an oval form, which differ a little from the preceding, except their branchial sac is open at both extremities, and the anal orifice terminates in a central cavity, around which ten or twelve of these mollusks are grouped like the rays of a star. The pyrosomi unite in great numbers, forming a large hollow cylinder, open at one end and closed at the other, which swims in the ocean by the alternate contraction and dilation of the animals that compose it. In their individual organization, they are similar to the preceding. Of the parts of shells. We have now brought our history of the mollusca to a close, but with the view of imparting clearer notions on the subject of conchology or history of shells, we shall add here a few words in relation to the parts of shells. It is absolutely necessary to understand these parts before we can comprehend the descriptions given by conchologists, or be able to describe the shells in such a way as conchologists can recognize them. The most simple form of a shell is the cone. The apex of the cone is oblique and eccentric. In the limpets, patella, argonaut, and nautilus, the apex is directed towards the head, but in most other mollusks, towards the opposite extremity of the body. A shell may consist of one piece, as in the inopercular univalves, that is, univalves without an operculum or door. A shell may consist of two pieces, as in the opercular univalves, univalves with an operculum, and in most bivalves. A shell may consist of three pieces, as in the terebratula. A shell may consist of four or more pieces, as in some of the folides. A shell may consist of many pieces, in which case it constitutes a multivalve, as the chitin. The univalve shells are much more numerous than any others, both in genera and species, and it requires a considerable degree of attention to discriminate many of the species, as they run into each other so much. In the examination of univalve shells, 
the general outline or contour of the whole shell is the first particular to be attended to, as this leads to those distinctions necessary in the definition of simple, spiral, or turbinated shells, or more strictly according to the Linnaean method of discrimination, univalves with a regular spire and those without a regular spire. Univalve shells are classified principally from the shape of the aperture, taken in conjunction with the general shape of the shell. From the spire being lengthened or depressed, being with or without a canal, the length of the beak and its direction, together with the particular form of the outer or external lip, the color of shells only serves as a specific distinction, and, even in this respect, cannot in all cases be depended upon, although in others it is an unvarying test. The particular manner in which the spots are disposed frequently characterizes species. Apex is the summit, tip, or highest part of a shell. Base is the opposite extremity from the apex. In shells with a beak or rostrum, as the murex, it implies the tip of such beak. In shells without a beak, it is understood to be the lower part, as before mentioned, opposite of the apex. In the patella and some others, the base of the shell is that part on which it rests when it is laid upon its mouth. In the teredo and similar shells, it is the wider end. Body of the shell is the first or lower whorl of the spire, in which the aperture is situated. This whorl is generally longer than the others. Front of the shell is that side where the aperture is situated. Back of the shell is the opposite side to that in which the aperture is placed. The venter, or belly, is the most prominent part of the lower whorl or body, generally situated in the vicinity of the lip over the aperture, and formed by the convexity of the aperture. In general, this term is only made use of in describing shells whose body is large in proportion to the size of the spire. Sides of a shell are the extreme edges of the shell, when viewed either in front or from the back. The right side is the one next to the observer's left hand when the shell is viewed in front, and the side with the aperture in it is the left side. The conical univalve shell is generally spirally convoluted, sometimes, as in the nautilus, in the same plane but more usually in an oblique direction. As a general rule, the spiral univalve, if viewed in the position in which its inhabitant would carry it, if moving forward from the observer, is twisted from the apex downward from left to right, the spire being directed obliquely towards the right. In some genera, for example, clausilia, from the Latin clausus, shut, and physa, from the Greek, fusa, a bubble, the shell is twisted in an opposite direction. Such shells are called perverse or sinistral. The aperture, or mouth, is that part of the lower whorl of the body through which the animal protrudes itself. This is one of the principal means of distinguishing the genera of univalve shells, and it varies much in its form. Some apertures are rounded, others semilunar, others angular, etc. Some apertures have a canal at their base, and others are without it. In various genera, the aperture extends the whole length of the shell, as in ovula, cypria, and some of the cones with depressed spires. In several individuals, the aperture is either entirely open or closed by an operculum or door, which is usually affixed to the foot of the animal. When without a notch or canal, the aperture is said to be entire. The aperture has two lips or borders. The internal lip or border is on the side of the aperture, formed by the columella, and the external or outer lip or border is opposite, as in the pleurotoma. Canal or gutter is the space or hollow formed by the prolongation of the two lips of the aperture. Some shells have two canals, one situated at the point where the outer lip and body join. Beak or rostrum is that lengthened process in which the canal is situate. This process is not so conspicuous in some of the species of Voluta, but is more marked in the genera Murex, Fusus, etc. The columella, or pillar, is that process which runs through the center of the shell in the inside, from the base to the apex, and around which the whorls or wreaths of the spire are wound. When the columella is marked by ridges or folds, as in auricula and oliva, it is said to be plicated or plaited, but when it is smooth, it is simple. Pillar lip is a continuation of the glassy process with which the aperture is lined, and expanded on the columella. 
It is also called the inner or internal lip. The outer lip, or external border, is the expansion or continuation of the body of the shell, on the left margin of the aperture, and also lined with the glossy process of the aperture. Spire consists of all the whorls of the shell except the lower one, which, as before observed, is termed the body of the shell. This spire is a prominent feature of the univalve, and upon its being elevated, depressed, etc., depends much of the generic and specific definition of these shells. It is a remarkable circumstance that many of the young shells have not the same number of wreaths as the adults, from which it would appear that the part of the animal nearest the apex never increases in size. The number of wreaths cannot, at all times, be depended upon. A full-grown shell may, however, be known from the outer lip, which has generally an unfinished appearance in young shells. Indeed, in all the land and freshwater shells, it is a distinct criterion, as they are never complete in the form of the outer lip, till full-grown. Whirl is one of the wreaths or volutions of the shell. Depressed spire is when the spire is very flat, as in the shells of the genus Planorbis. Involuted spire is where the spire is concealed in the inside of the first whorl or body, as in some of the nautili, cypri, ovuli, etc. Suture of the spire, or whorls, is a fine spiral line, or seam, formed by the joining together of the whorls. It is sometimes crenulated, undulated, waved, or sulcated, grooved, and not unfrequently elevated or projecting. Reversed, or heterostrophe spire, is when the volutions of the spire revolve in the same manner as the common corkscrew, or when the aperture is placed downward, the nature of the spire runs upward from the right hand to the left. Chambers are the cavities, divided by partitions at regular or irregular intervals, as in the nautilus. Umbilicus is a circular perforation in the base of the lower whorl or body. Sub-umbilicated shells are those which have the umbilicus covered, in a greater or less degree, by a thin process, which in some almost entirely closes the aperture or mouth. This character is most commonly to be met with among species of Bucinum and Murex. Umbilical fissure is a groove extending from the umbilicus. Shells which have no umbilicus are termed imperforate. Siphunculus, little siphon, is that small round perforation which forms a communication between the chambers in the nautilus and penetrates through the whole spire of the shell. Varices are transverse ribs which cross the whorls of shells in some species of Buccinum, Murex, etc., Varices are formed by the periodical growth of the shells, these being the margin of the outer lip, to which the animal has attached its periodical enlargements. In some species they have more of the form of sutures than ribs, this owing to the margin of the outer lip being but slightly developed. Ribs are those longitudinal and transverse protuberances which are in many of the univalve shells. Teeth of univalves, according to Colonel Montague, are not properly tooth-shaped protuberances, but are fine white laminae or ridges, running spirally backwards in a direction parallel to each other. Those on the exterior lip may, in most instances, be traced through the outside of the shell, and are nearly alike in length. Epidermis is a skin, or cuticle, covering the exterior surface of many shells, destined by nature to protect their surface from being injured. True bivalve shells are peculiar to the acephalous mollusca, and their presence is constant, although they are in a few instances too small to cover the whole body, and in the shipborers, teredo, exist only as small instruments, limited to the function of excavating the burrows inhabited by these mollusks. But all the species, in which the bivalve shell is inadequate to the protection of the whole body, derive extrinsic defense by burrowing in sand or stone or wood, and they also commonly line their burrows with a layer of smooth and compact calcareous matter, forming a tube. This calcareous tube, in some cases, is of considerable size and thickness. In the clavigella, one valve, and in the aspergillum, both valves are soldered to this tube, which in the latter presents a peculiar modification of its exposed extremity, which resembles the end of the spout of a watering pot. No two shells can present a greater contrast than do those of the placuna and aspergillum. 
yet the organization of their respective constructors is essentially the same. In a classification of shells, the calcareous tubes of the dentalium, serpula, aspergillum, vermitis, etc., would be associated in the same general group, but it needs only to observe how these products of animals, belonging not only to the different classes, but to distinct primary divisions of the animal kingdom, are arranged in the cabinets of collectors, to be convinced that conchology is a classificatory science, apart from malacology, the science of mollusks, no longer exists. With regard to the structure and physiological relations of bivalve shells, it may be observed first that in all acephalous mollusks which breathe by distinct lamellated gills, branchiae, lamella branchiata, one valve corresponds to the left, the other to the right side of the animal. But in the branchiopodus bivalves, one valve is applied to the ventral and the other to the dorsal aspect of the animal. In all the lamellibranch bivalves which are free, the two valves are symmetrical, and the shell is termed equivalve. In all those which adhere by one of their valves to foreign bodies, this valve is deeper and larger than the unattached valve. Such shells are termed inequivalve. Of these acephalins which are attached to foreign bodies by means of abyssus, some, as the tridacna, are equivalve, and both valves are notched to form the hole for the passage of the byssus, while others, such as the pectin and avicula, are inequivalve, the byssus passing through a groove in the right valve. If the shell of the common cockle be examined, each valve will be seen to be produced in a conical prominence bent towards, and nearly meeting at, that part by which the valves are joined together. These prominences are termed the umbones, or sometimes beaks. The apex of the umbo corresponds to the apex of the univalve shell, and is the point at which the development of the bivalve commences. When the apex is directed in the transverse plane of the shell, and so placed that a division of the shell in that plane through the apices shall divide the valve into two equal parts, the shell is termed equilateral. Of this form, the pectin is an example. When upon a similar division, a slight difference is observed in the two valves, the shell is termed subequilateral, but where the difference is well marked, it is an inequilateral bivalve. When the apex is bent, as is commonly the case out of the transverse plane, it is always directed more or less towards the anterior part of the shell. If such a bivalve such as the Cytheria or Isocardia be held before the observer with the umbones directed forward and the hinge above, in the position in fact which the living animal would place itself if it were creeping forward from the observer, the right valve will of course correspond with the right hand of the observer and the left with the left. When the circumference or margin of one valve fits exactly at every part that of its fellow, it is said to be regular or entire. But if it be notched at any part so as not to come in contact with the corresponding part of the opposite valve, it is irregular or emarginate. Besides the parts mentioned, we shall find in most cases, in anterior to the apices of the beaks, a depression of variable extent and depth. This is the lunule. It may be cordiform or crescentic, lanceolate, oblong and gradually tapering towards each extremity, oval, deep, superficial, etc. Behind the beaks is another depression, longer and narrower than the lunule, and which is called the fissure, and its margins are named lips of the fissure. Behind the fissure there is sometimes a small depression called the suture. The general, more or less convex surface of each valve is called the venter or belly, which terminates in the limb, circumference or margin. The most important part of the margin is that which is modified to form the joint or hinge upon which the two valves open and shut. This part is called the cardinal edge, and generally presents certain prominences and depressions, the projections of one valve interlocking with the depressions of the other. The projections, or teeth, together with the cavities, or cardinal pits, are very regular in their formation in each genus and species of bivalve, but what is of more importance is that every modification in the structure of the hinge is generally found to coincide with some recognizable and more or less important difference in the organization of the soft parts, so that conchologists have justly attached great value to the characters derivable from the hinge, especially for the purpose of generic distinctions. 
When the teeth are situate beneath the apex, or center of the hinge, they are called cardinal or primary. When they are removed from the center of the hinge, they are named lateral teeth. When two only are present, one is called anterior, the other posterior. When there are three, they are distinguished respectively as anterior, median, or middle, and posterior teeth. But when the hinge is composed of a great number of teeth, it is said to be serial, as in arca. Some hinges have no visible teeth and are termed inarticulate. The direct medium of union of the two valves is a dense fasciculus bundle of elastic fibers, generally of a brown color, called ligament, or elastic ligament. The fibers of this part are attached by their extremities to the two valves, which in most cases present a particular depression for their reception. The ligament is always so long as to prevent the actual closing of the valves, except when its elasticity is overcome by a certain force, as by that of the contraction of the adductor muscle or muscles. Thus, the inorganic power of elasticity is made the direct antagonist of a vital and muscular contraction, and as the open or expanded condition of the bivalve shell is that which the exigences of the animal most constantly require, it is assigned to a force which can act without ever causing fatigue, while the occasional or protective action of forcibly closing the valves is due to an action under the immediate control of the will or instinctive sensation. The modifications of the internal surface of a bivalve shell are caused by the structure of the animal inhabiting it, hence they afford the characters by which the habits of an extinct genus may be to a great extent determined. The pallial impression shows the development of the muscular margin of the mantle. End of lesson six. Recording by Lauren Huff.